Hello, and welcome to Revengers Friends from Work on the Hopewell Valley Student Publications Network, where students come together to publish content to share with the world. The opinions expressed in this episode are my own. Please enjoy the show. You're listening to Revengers Friends from Work, the podcast, with your host, Christina Zellin. In this episode of Revengers Friends from Work, the podcast, I'll be discussing Eternals. I'll also go over the first Thor Love and Thunder trailer that came out. This is the seventh episode in a miniseries where I talk about each of the TV shows and movies of 2021. Before we get started today, guys, I just have a quick update for you guys. I now have an Instagram and a TikTok account. So go follow Revengers Friends from Work on Instagram and TikTok to get sneak peeks into episodes and an insider on how the episodes are made. So now getting into it, we're going to go over the plot. So the overall plot is the Eternals are trying to stop the emergence from happening. That would essentially just destroy Earth and everybody on it. Some of them feel like they should stop it, while others feel like the Earth's sacrifice is necessary for other worlds to be created. Personally, I'm on Earth. Like they all said, I'm on the side of the Eternals that would not want the emergence to destroy Earth. I understand both sides, because I feel like this is like the Avengers version of Civil War, but with the Eternals. I understand both sides, but I have to agree with, I'm going to say Cersei and her side. It's kind of like Cersei versus Icarus instead of Cap versus Tony. This is this is Cersei versus Icarus. Cersei is emotionally attached to Earth, and everybody makes know that. Or, like, you've always gone, like, above and beyond to, like, help humans and stuff like that. Like, we understand why you're attached from it. Sure, let's, like, save Earth. Fastos was definitely on board with that because he started a family here. So he's like, yeah, I don't want my family to die. Kingo made a name for himself by becoming like this famous like movie producer and actor, so he didn't really want to leave that behind. Meanwhile, Icarus and Sprite, they really didn't have anybody or anything here for to fight for. So they're just trying to do what their mission was originally and just help the emergency along. That that was their whole point. That's what Ereshim was trying to say to Cersei when he was explaining everything to her. Basically the point of the Eternals being sent down there was to help humanity along enough so that the population on Earth grew so that way I don't know what the name of the um crap I can't remember what they're all like the Ereshim and his his fellow people are called but whatever the population had to be big enough for that thing to emerge and see emergence so that's what the point of the Eternals were originally before the even Eternals were sent there Ereshim sent, like, deviants there. I can't exactly remember why he sent them there, but they ended up being a problem to the population, so then he sent Eternals to fight them and kind of balance it out. So it's kind of like a negative, and then you add a positive, and then they're kind of neutral again. But I was on the side of Cersei. I was like, hey, guys, don't destroy the Earth, because that means you're destroying the Avengers that are on Earth, and that would be bad. I wouldn't like that. So yay that they stopped it. So now I'm going to go on to powerful scenes. The first one in my book that really happened was kind of like 40 minutes into the movie was Cersei, Icarus, and Sprite finding Ajax dead at her home. It's kind of weird like to them because Ajax's power is healing, so you wouldn't really expect her to die like the way she did. Like They saw like stab wounds, which you would think that means she could just heal, but obviously... We find out later that it was just like a lot of deviants attacking her at one time, so there wasn't really going to be a chance for her to heal before she just died. 
Um, Sprite and uh, Cersei were very sad about it. Icarus was just kind of standing there like, do 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 look like I didn't have anything to do with this, even though I totally did. And while Cersei was just kind of mourning over Ajax's body, the sphere orb thing kind of went out of Ajax and it went into Cersei kind of saying, hey, you're team leader now. I was team leader. Now I'm passing the orb on to you and you get to play that role. Cersei's like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm ready to be team leader yet. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm not ready for this. This is Ajax's job. And obviously a lot of people didn't really like it at first. Like, Kingo were not on our side at first. Like, oh, let's just swallow Icarus. He's the strongest one of us. Like, he should be leading it. And Icarus is like, I, he knows freaking well why he wasn't chosen to be leader. Ajax wasn't going to choose her killer to be leader. So obviously they had to choose Cersei. And she wasn't going to choose Sprite because Sprite's like just a 16-year-old who can't age. So obviously the only choice there would have been Cersei. But people still don't really accept Cersei as their leader until later on. Another powerful scene was Cersei being shown what exactly the Eternals are and how they were created. Erishim just showed her and told her pretty much everything that he showed and told Ajax that they're basically all robots and there is no Mount Olympus, that Erishim basically created them. And every time an emergence happens, their memories get wiped and they're just like stowed in this giant big crystal wall thing. And they're basically just programmed to get reset, but their memories are somewhere. So Cersei wasn't too happy about that and neither, neither was anybody else, which I don't really blame them. But they all this time they just thought they were, I don't know what they thought they were, just aliens, I guess, because they knew that they weren't human. I don't know what they thought they were, but they didn't think correctly because no one could have read that they were all robots, which I didn't think they would be robots either. I thought they were just, like I said, they were just people from Mount Olympus sent down by Erishim to do their mission, and then they were just sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for Erishim to say, okay, guys, it's good to come back home now, which she was never going to do. Another powerful scene was when Athena was diagnosed with uh, Mad Weary. Uh, Mad Weary is basically just her past, like, memories, like, coming back into play. So it was kind of bad because it affected the way that she acted and she couldn't really differentiate who was the good guys versus who was the bad guys. But at the same time, it was kind of good because she was getting, like, her memories back. But Ajax, like, the only way to cure this is if we wipe all her memories now basically hit the reset button before the emergence happened so then the other nine eternals would have to live with her not knowing any of them and kind of have to reset and gilgamesh is like uh-uh no way like i'll i'll look out for her and Athena didn't want to forget either and then Jack's kind of warning him she's like okay then but just don't say we didn't tell you so when she tries to attack you and gilgamesh is like no i got this it'll be good and it was great. I really admired Gilgamesh for sticking up for her, and Athena, of course, appreciated it because she wanted to keep her memories. So that was good. I was kind of happy that they somewhat got a life together for a while, and they lived together, and that was really nice to see. Another really cool scene that kind of shocked the characters as much as it shocked me was Cersei turning a deviant into a tree. All we saw in the film beforehand was her turning non-living objects into other non-living objects. So that's why I took her by surprise that she turned a living object into, like, I get, a tr I get a tree is a living object. I did pass biology, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean when I say non-living object? Like, something that isn't constantly, like, moving around and breathing and eating, and I know that's still a tree, but you get the point. So she was kind of like, whoa, okay, I turned this 
living organism thing into a tree. I've never been able to do that before. And everyone's like, uh, yeah, I know you haven't. Like, why are you <laughs> like, why didn't you tell us you could do that? She's like, I didn't know I could do that. So that was kind of cool. And that's how she kind of used that new untapped power that she didn't even know she had to help stop the emergence in the final battle. Which is another thing, which brings to my next scene, which was the Eternals taking their stance about where exactly they were. The only thing that I'm still confused about a little bit to this day is really is Kingo's situation in that. Because he just basically dipped and said, I'm not helping either one of you. And just so he just wasn't even in the final battle at all. Like, he wanted to follow Icarus. I'll follow you to, like, the ends of the earth. And that's what he said to Ajax. So, like, Icarus kind of, like, got brought bad memories back. But to me, Kingo should have aligned with Cersei. Like, I feel like he had more of a connection with Cersei and the people on her side than he did with Icarus and to people on his side. But I'm just still kind of confused as to why Kingo just dipped and then just didn't appear until after the fight. But, uh well, we'll see maybe later. <laughs> Other one is the backstory about how Ajax was killed and revealing that Icarus is kind of the villain. I mean, Icarus really, like, set her up. Like, he scoped out where there was, like, deviance and whatnot. He managed to lure her on top of a cliff. Like, he basically just kind of, he told her pretty much what she was going to, what he was going to do. And Ajax's like, don't do this, Icarus. Don't kill me. It's like, you're just going to open a hole in can of worms if we do so. Icarus was like, yeah, whatever. And then just, <laughs> and then just pushed her off the cliff anyway. She survived falling off the cliff. And she, she didn't do well against the deviants. And then they, the big deviant kind of, stole her like stole her power that's like the one thing though about the eternals that it's kind of hard which i get they're supposed to like balance each other out so they kind of have like one team of everybody that has like a, a specific type of power but some of these people really kind of have like bad fighting powers like ajax is it's a great power but if you don't have any like weapons or any skills to fight then your power is pretty much useless because you're going to get killed anyway sprite great illusions Guess what? They're not like, it's not like she can like create, like physically manifest an illusion. So great. You see like a hologram stuff. That's really helpful in a fight. Cersei. Ooh, we can change like a rock into a water. How is that going to help you? So like some of these people, which I understand why they kind of like bench them, like in the very, very first fight in the movie, I understand why some of them weren't there. Like Sprite, Cersei, and Ajax. They really don't have, like, what I call fighting powers. Meanwhile, the rest of them actually have fighting powers that can be proven useful. Speaking of powers that can be proven useful, one of the coolest, like, fight scenes that I feel like that we haven't, like, we haven't really seen, like... Okay, I take that back. This is, like, the only time in this movie where we had, like, a really, really good fight scene where it's someone powerful versus, like, someone just as powerful... And you would think just by looking at it on paper, it kind of looks like a Flash versus Superman fight, because that's pretty much what it was, but it was Makari versus Icarus. Makari absolutely bodied this man. I was cheering her on. Like, she like she just hit him left and right, and Icarus couldn't freaking see it coming. And I was very proud of Makari, because I wanted, to her, I wanted her to have more of a role in this movie. And I was kind of sad that she didn't, but once she was in scenes, I loved it. Like, I, I just love her so much. She's, she's my favorite Eternal, and I was very happy that her and Druid got a happy ending for now. But I was I was very amazed that um, Makari could absolutely just kick the crap out of, <laughs> out of Icarus. And I was like, yeah, you go, Makari. You show him what's up. We got two more. 
so of course Cersei stops the emergence. She turns the giant creature thing into ice, which that makes for a really cool um, what's it called? Iceberg. So imagine just this big iceberg in the middle of the ocean that just looks like this big like robotic man thing. That's kind of cool. And then the last one I, I kind of said was powerful, I guess, was Icarus apologizing to Cersei and then proceeded to commit suicide by the most ironic way possible, flying into the sun. They revealed in that movie that how that story was created was that Sprite said, oh, Icarus was the boy who flew too close to the sun, which is like, we know that story in our universe, so it's kind of funny that in their universe it was Sprite making it up and that's ironically how he died. Now we're moving on to characters. I'm not going through all 10 of them because that would be a while. So I picked two of them. I picked, I'm going to say the main characters, which I know is wrong of me to say because there's 10 of them. So technically there's like 10 plus main characters. Cersei was definitely one of them. And then the other person who I felt like had like this big spotlight and role in the movie was Icarus. So I'm going to be talking about Cersei and Icarus. Cersei's up first. Like I said earlier, she was really attached to humans. She always had a great connection with them. She would always go out of her way to help him with things. And that's something that Icarus always admired about her. He said that because she was getting more connected with them, he wanted to be more connected with them. Like he started like learning their languages and helping Cersei help them. So it was a good way to have their relationship bond. Cersei did want to be in a relationship with Dale after Icarus left her. But she knew that she couldn't because she thought that she could be summoned back home at any time by Arishim, which wasn't the case. And after Ajax died, she was chosen to be the leader of the Eternals, and she was not quite sure that she could lead them. She didn't have the full support of everybody. Few of them thought that Icarus should lead them because he was quote-unquote the strongest. And Cersei did eventually gain the trust of a few of them, and they just kind of gave her a big pep talk to help build her confidence and that's what Athena's like I already gave that I already gave that um pep talk she's like you don't need to she's ready <laughs> like yes you go you go you go Athena and she did forgive Icarus for lying to her for thousands of years about his actual like plan about not stopping the emergence and then he left her and then it came back and she's like all right I forgive you and then that was the last she ever had a conversation with him so now moving on to Sir Icarus, he was playing both sides from the beginning. I didn't quite pick up on it like the first time I was watching the movie, of course, because I was just trying to, I was like, he was deemed like the good guy. So then when he started betraying everybody, I was like, oh, Icarus, how dare you? I was kind of shocked at first, but now like looking back and rewatching it, they did drop like little hints about him not necessarily being on their side the full time even just like his body movement and like his facial expressions kind of gave it away and then i'm looking back i'm like oh yeah there now you see it now you see that he is playing both sides like sometimes he would help them and move like move the process along of finding everybody and other times he just lead the team away from where exactly they should be going and of course hiding the truth until he eventually just revealed himself i believe he did love cersei when they were together but when he left her after the Eternals quote-unquote like broke up after Ajax basically said, okay guys, we killed all the Deviants, great, great job everyone, there's no need for you guys to stay here, you guys can all just leave, live your own lives, be happy, and when we all reunite again, tell me something that you found. 
feel like it was like a really, really, really long-term homework assignment that Adrian gave all of them. But when Icarus left her after the Eternals quote-unquote broke up, he didn't see her for a while and she moved on from him. What a girl boss. Don't let your ex hang you down. And then when, <laughs> and then when he came back, he found her with another man and he was jealous. Like, Icarus, get over it. It was like a it was, that relationship was like thousands of years ago. You didn't say anything. You just left. Like, she moved on like you should be doing. And then you're sitting here being jealous of Dale. And ultimately, like, her... I, <laughs> I want to say that his, his jealousy drove him like, oh, if I can't have Cersei, none of the humans will. Let's just destroy it. I don't want to say that's what his sole reason. I know his sole reason was just to follow Ereshem to what he was saying and to carry out his mission and all that jazz but you can't tell me there was a little bit of jealousy saying yeah let's destroy the earth that way damn won't be in here anymore and i can be back with cersei <laughs> and cersei did end up getting the best of him and her team beat him in a fight and they stopped the emergence and then it's kind of like this gives this giving me a major reference to the series finale of what if we see once again a robot that is no longer without purpose. Their mission is either done or failed, and there's no going back and changing that. So then they just feel like they're just there. And the only difference was Ultron found another thing to keep going for, while Icarus couldn't see any, like, he couldn't find a reason. So he's like, oh, well, I can't get Cersei. Uh, the, we stopped the emergence. There's no point in me living. Let me just fly into the sun. It seemed a little random to me. Like, I would have thought he would have tried to rebuild his relationship with Cersei, but he was just like, nope, I'm done. I'm cease to exist anymore. So, the overall enjoyment of this movie, it was okay. Any movie is hard to enjoy when you have a completely new set of characters in them that the audience doesn't know yet. A lot of people hate on this movie, which I think is a little harsh. I understand why people don't like it, but it wasn't awful. It wasn't bad, like it, like it wasn't bad by any means, but it was just that people aren't used to the change, and then they hate the change, and then they hate the movie. There were some good things in this movie. I loved Kingo and Makari. They brought a lot of humor into it. This movie had some references to our characters, like Kingo knowing Thor. Like Kingo is literally older than Thor, and he like saw him like running around. <laughs> Kingo's like, now that he's a famous Avenger, he won't even like return my calls. So it's kind of interesting that Kingo and Thor had a relationship. Maybe, maybe we'll see Kingo in Thor Love and Thunder. I don't know, but I'm just throwing it out there. And like I said earlier, they had references to our world, the whole Icarus, the boy who flew too close to the sun story. So that was kind of interesting to see. I'm interested to see how exactly they'll come back. I can't really think of a scenario that they're going to come back in. Something totally random just popped in my mind. Like, for some crazy reason, I just feel like... Shang-Chi and like his rings and like stuff like that somehow magically connect to the Eternals like I feel like because it's once again kind of goes back to like I don't know it's they're both like gold which could totally not mean anything whatsoever it should just be the color scheme and I'm totally just throwing this out there but it seems like to me especially in the post credits when Wong is examining the rings and he kind of like pulls it apart to kind of see his structure that really just kind of like reminded me of Fastos kind of like pulling his inventions apart and seeing like the mechanics behind it it could totally not mean anything. I'm totally just like spitball on air, but who knows? I don't know. I'm also excited to see what Star Fox 
Harry Styles is gonna <laughs> is gonna be in this. I like before I saw Eternals, I heard like, oh Harry, oh Harry Styles is gonna be in it. And I'm like, how is Harry Styles gonna be in it? And then I saw in the post credits scene, I'm like, oh there he is. So it's kind of interesting. Like I said before, if you've been here before with me, you know that I haven't read the comics yet and don't have time to. Apparently that Star Fox is Thanos' brother, which to me, I'm just like, okay, there's definitely an adoption going on there. You got a big purple grape and a human-looking person. (laughs) They cannot have the same parents, or otherwise their genes are totally screwed up. So it's interesting to see what what exact role he's going to play in later. I'm not really too sure if he has powers or anything like that. He just seems to be interested in helping who was on the ship, wasn't it? I think it was Thena, Druig, and Makari. Basically, at the end of the movie, Hershon's like, you guys, you three who are left on Earth, you guys are in big trouble. You stopped the emergence. He basically, it's kind of, it's kind of reminding me of Moon Knight right now. It's like, this planet will be up for judgment. I don't know when, but basically if it fails judgment, bad things are happening. So you guys better just keep the Earth in check, which I'm not entirely sure how they're supposed to do. But he gave them he gave them a warning, and I, I can't remember if it's Etho or something like that. I don't know. I'm calling him Star Fox because that's his actual name. Star Fox came. He's like, yeah, your friends are in trouble. We need to go help them. So it'll be interesting to see how the four of them are now pairing up to figure that out. And then you have the other post credit scene with Dale, like hyping himself up to open up a box with a wrapped sword in it, and the inside was in Latin. It said, "Death is my reward." And then you have this like mysterious voice saying are you sure you're kind of like ready to take that risk we didn't know who it was until i just googled it half an hour ago and it was in fact blade which i'm 99 percent sure has his own show so that'll be interesting to see what he has to do with it i don't know there's a lot of a lot of characters and a lot of moving parts and it can very easily get lost in it but we're gonna make it work okay now that we're done talking about Eternals, I'm going to briefly, and I do exactly mean briefly, go over to Thor Love and Thunder trailer, which I was very excited to see. I was scrolling through Instagram and all of a sudden it popped up. I was like, oh crap, here we go. So basically what it looks like is Thor's going to be done heroing. I mean, that was kind of his exact words, but he's trying to find a quest for inner peace, kind of like Kung Fu Panda. He is trying to retire pretty much. And I don't think the Guardians are too much in liking that idea because they kind of like recruited him because he's like this like this fearless warrior person. And all of a sudden he's like, nah, I don't want to be here anymore. And they're probably just going to be like, what? And then they just dip. <laughs> Imagine they just leave Thor somewhere. Like, yeah, if you're not going to help us, we're not, you're, you're not going to be allowed to tag, all, tag along anymore. And they just left him. But apparently, because we didn't, I don't think we actually saw this person. But apparently there's the, the um, villain of this is the galactic killer known as Gore the God Butcher, who seeks the extinction of gods. Now, doesn't that seem a little too close to the plot of Moon Knight? That seems pretty freaking close to me. Something tells me that Moon Knight is going to be very much connected into Thor, Love, and Thunder, like with the whole gods thing and they're not always right and whatnot this dude's probably gonna i wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see moon knight or conchu maybe even arthur in this who knows but i feel like they have to play some role in some way in this so we got to see valkyrie in a suit (laughs) so that was 
all all the all the girls and all the gays were screaming when I saw that. I was very much screaming. I was very happy. I was like, I was kind of sad that we didn't see more of her in the trailer, but I, I think we'll see more once we get closer to the movie. But I was like, yeah, you go, Valkyrie. Got to see Korg and Meek and the rest of the Guardians and stuff like that. And it was kind of sad when <laughs> Quill was looking at all the Guardians. I was looking, I'm like, there's everyone. Even Nebula's here, but Gamora isn't. And I was kind of sad when <laughs> I didn't see her, but... And then, at the end of the trailer, we got what everyone was waiting for, Miss Jane Foster as Thor. When I watched it for the very first time, I was kind of looking at it, I'm like, that doesn't look like Natalie Portman. But I'm thinking, I'm kind of looking at it a little harder, I'm like, yeah, it is, but it's just kind of hard to tell with the mask on. I'm excited to see how Mjolnir is going to be <laughs> revived, I'm going to say. Like, you obviously see it has cracks in it, so somebody welded it back together. I don't know who, but I'll be interested to see how that gets back together. But Thor is looking mighty fine with this, like, fur coat on him that he's got. I was like, whoa, Lord have mercy. No, but <laughs> Korg also had that fur thing on, so I'm not sure what wardrobe they sought out to get that, but Thor and Korg have matching, like, fur coat things, and they kind of look cute in it. Also, at one point in the trailer, it was very, very brief. I don't, it was like a very short type of clip, but at one point in time, like Thor's costume changed and like his Stormbreaker's lighting up and it has, his suit has the color scheme of like Captain Marvel, like, like the same exact colors and like the energy around Stormbreaker was kind of like moving, like exactly like her powers. I don't know if his has anything to do with her whatsoever. But I was just kind of, I like, stared at that for a second, and I'm like, oh, what if Captain Marvel's in this? Like, Carol and Thor kind of hit it off in Endgame, so... And she... I don't know if she's back in space now. They didn't, I don't think they really addressed that at the end of Endgame. Like, I saw... like she, Of course, she was there for Tony's funeral, but we don't know if she left again or not. So that'd be kind of cool if we saw Carol in that, but... I just noticed that, like, I just noticed his color scheme of the suit and kind of the energy around Stormbreaker. I'm like, that kind of looks like Captain Marvel's powers, but... Oh, we'll see. All right, guys, that's going to be it for this week's episode. I'm not doing a No Way Home episode one because I already did that when it first came out. That's episode seven. So the very last episode in this series is going to be Hawkeye. And then hopefully at that time, Moon Knight will wrap up and then I'll make an episode about that. And then three days later, I'll see Multiverse of Madness and then I'll make an episode about that. So just to give you guys an idea about what the upcoming plans are going to be. Like I said before, go follow my Instagram and TikTok at Renters from Some Work to get some sneak peeks and updates about when I'm going to post some episodes. Bye-bye!